0: Blessed Lord and great God, Lord of all, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, whose spirit through, spoke through inspired men, pour out on us that same Holy Spirit as we read the pages they wrote. Unfold to us your word and give us light. Impart to us understanding, simple as we are. O Lord on high, grant us the wisdom that is from on high, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Please open your Bibles to Psalm 23, where we have our message for this morning. Psalm 23, which is a Psalm of David. Let's give attention to the reading of God's Word. Hear now the Word of God. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Thus far the reading of God's word, may he bless it to us. The author of Psalm 23 is David, and in verse 1, David begins on a very personal note, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In other words, I shall not lack anything because the Lord is my shepherd. It's no wonder why Psalm 23 is a psalm of trust and confidence, and where is Psalm 23 in the Psalter? Well, it's placed between chapters three to 41 in book one in which the theme, of the, book, the theme of book one is the king's confidence in God's care, according to one commentator. But not only is David's psalm of trust, uh, D- David's psalm is a psalm of trust and confidence, it's also our psalm of trust, too, as God's covenant people. And if the king lacks nothing, then his people lack nothing. But as Christians, we don't say that we lack nothing because we have the things of this world, whether it's our social status, our financial security, our health, our retirement, education, career, our relationships, these are all good things, but they can never give you ultimate happiness or comfort in this life. These are all temporary. Rather, we say we lack nothing because all we really need and all we have is our God. God is the great king and great shepherd of his people. He will never leave us nor forsake us. Even if we failed God, God has never failed us. And it's this picture in Psalm 23 that reflects God's care for his people. And it finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep so that we may have life. And so Psalm 23 in a nutshell teaches that since the Lord Jesus is always with God's children, you must trust that he takes care of you. And so who is the Lord in Psalm 23? And how does he take care of you? Well, there are two main ways I want us to think about the Lord and how he cares for us. First, he is our good shepherd, and second, he is our gracious host. So first, how does the good shepherd care for us? Well, we see the metaphor of the good shepherd in verses 2 to 4. And then later in verses 5 to 6, we'll see that the Lord is our gracious host. And so one way our good shepherd cares for us is that he nourishes us, right? We see that in verse 2, in which David says, He makes me lie down on green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Now you see, David is no stranger of shepherding sheep. He himself was a shepherd boy before he became king of Israel. And now here he's metaphorically a sheep. And now David knows that sheep aren't smart animals. They're very vulnerable animals. They need food, they need water to survive. And so in the wilderness shepherds Carefully search where there's green pastures and and leads them to drink in quiet waters. And so what does this picture show us? It shows us a serene picture of a sheep's peace and dependence on the shepherd. It's he who nourishes, who feeds, who gives rest. That's God's shepherding care for the king and his people. And so remember when Israel was hungry in the wilderness God provided food when he heard the grumbling of the Israelites. He gave them meat, and he, meat to eat and bread to be filled, and so that they know that I am the Lord your God. And so, brothers and sisters, we have every reason to trust that the Lord will sustain us. It's like my three-year-old, whatever she asks, Daddy, I'm hungry, right? Daddy, I'm thirsty. I want milk. And so she never worries about food or drink because she knows daddy and mommy will never leave her hungry. And that's why in the Lord's Prayer, we pray, give us this day our daily bread, because God hears us and gives us our daily nourishment. But isn't it true that we can often take God's provision for granted, thinking that what we have belongs to us as if we own it? And so when we think that way, we fail to acknowledge the one from whom all blessings flow. The one whom all praise is due. Because in reality, every gift is a gift that is given to us by God. Because we, It's not because we inherently deserve it, right? But it's because of his infinite grace that only he can provide. And it's also true that the same grace that is given to us for our bodies is the same grace needed to sustain our souls. And what does our soul need? It needs spiritual food, it needs spiritual drink. And where else can we find it but only in the person of Jesus Christ, who feeds our souls with the words of life? In our culture, to say that Jesus is the only way sounds very offensive right and even narrow minded many see jesus as just this one way among many religions just this week i had a conversation with someone who believes that all religions are essentially the same and that christians is just one path among many ways to god but this is contrary to the message of jesus who declares i am the way the truth and the life i am the bread which will never make you hungry I am the drink which will never make you thirsty, because until we realize that Jesus is our only hope for salvation, who offers true bread and true living water for our souls, our hearts, as the Church Father Augustine once said, our hearts will remain restless until it finds its rest in him. And so beloved, I want to ask you, where are you placing your trust? Is it in the cares of this world? is, Is it in your own ability? Is it in your status in life? Because the truth is, God invites you to rest only in Jesus, because he is what you need. For as our catechism reminds us, you are not your own, but belong body and soul, in life and in death, to your faithful savior, Jesus Christ. And so not only do we see the shepherd nourishes the sheep in verse 2, but we also see in verse 3 that our shepherd restores us. David says, he restores my soul. Another way we can translate soul in Hebrew is life. And we could say, he restores my life. This is in line with the nurture we saw in verse 2, how he feeds the sheep, gives rest to the sheep. In the same way, when sheep are weak, when they are sick, They need restoration. They need strength. And so Jesus says in John 10.10, I came that my sheep may have life and have it abundantly. And And so do you see, beloved, Jesus is our eternal life source. And it's our union with him that restores the strength that we need. And so we've seen how the good shepherd nourishes us, how he restores us. And so now we turn to see it's also He who guides us. We see that in verse three, David says, He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. He leads me in paths of righteousness. And so the metaphor of the path is common in wisdom literature. And so walking on the path of God designates a person's way of life. And to meditate upon God's path invites you to reflect on the way that you are living. And so, beloved, how are you living? Are you living in righteousness or are you living in wickedness? And so, remember, the overall purpose of the Psalter is spelled out for us in Psalm 1, that the blessed or happy man is one who walks in the law of the Lord versus the man who walks in wickedness, right? It's the language of wisdom literature throughout the Psalter. David says in Psalm 24, he who has clean hands and a pure heart will receive blessing and righteousness from God of his salvation. But brothers and sisters, if we're honest with ourselves, who among us has clean hands and a pure heart? Who has walked God's path in perfect obedience? The answer is that none of us have clean hands and a pure heart. In Isaiah 53, 6, we all, like sheep, have gone astray and turned our own way. So do you see that? We all have rebelled against God because of our sin. But the good news is that Jesus came to live a holy life and to die the death demanded of us so that we can be forgiven and granted his righteousness by faith alone. And now because of his grace, we have new hearts, right? We have new hearts to trust him and to obey him out of the gratitude of what Christ has done for us. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And so when the spirit of Christ empowers us to walk on God's path, it's not for our glory. It's not for our credit, but it's for whose glory? It's for the glory of God alone. Because in everything that God accomplishes, He accomplishes for his glory, for his name. And that's what we see at the end of verse three. It's for his name's sake. And so think about that. His very name, his his very reputation is stamped on his gracious work in your life. Because if he doesn't act in faithfulness, then his very name would be compromised. David says in Psalm 24, my steps have held fast to your paths and my feet have not slipped. And so that increases our confidence in him, doesn't it? And since he upholds what he does for his good name, it will never be put to shame because he is our covenant Lord, our faithful shepherd who keeps his promise forever. And so not only do we see in verse three that he guides us by leading us in paths of righteousness, but but we also see in verse four that he protects us. David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now this is a dangerous path, brothers and sisters, and it can be very scary. As one commentator wrote, shepherds would often lead their flock through dark ravines and that is where dangers lurked, where wild animals prey and where robbers uh, seek to steal sheep. And so what does this metaphor teach us? It shows us that distress in the Christian life is real. And distress isn't just limited to the facing of the shadow of death, but it, also, but it could also be translated Deep darkness. And deep darkness covers a wide range of any distress we may face in life. And so, so friend, what are you going through in life? Per- perhaps it's brokenness in the home. Per- perhaps it's financial difficulties. Perhaps it's your health, your loved one's health. Or is it spiritual battles where there seems to be no peace? And just when you think that God doesn't know how you feel, he does know how you feel, Right? He does know how I feel. He does know because Jesus walked that road before. And he knows what it's like to be tempted, to be hungry, thirsty, and, and betrayed, humiliated, and tortured, even, even the death that we deserve. But the good news, friend, is that he didn't stay dead, but went through death and overcame death to give us eternal life. And so, if you think about that, isn't that comforting? And so when he leads us through deep darkness, he doesn't just leave us there in the dark, but leaves us through it because he himself went through it. And just as the shepherd's rod and staff give the sheep protection and comfort, so too the Lord gives us protection and comfort by fighting off any danger that threatens to harm us. And so we shouldn't fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Because our body and soul belongs only to whom? only to Jesus and that's why you can trust him that nothing will harm you even in the face of death because he promises to be with you never leaving you nor forsaking you someone asked reformed theologian R.C. Sproul R.C. how do you find comfort in the midst of your suffering and this is when R.C. was facing lung disease and was already dependent on oxygen And R.C. tells him that he finds comfort in reading the 23rd Psalm. R.C. answered, I I have to deal with limitations. I have to deal with anxieties. Yet I don't have any fear of death whatsoever. But I have lots of fears on how I'm going to get there. It's the process that's scary. And I don't particularly enjoy pain. But there is unbelievable peace and comfort in the word knowing who he is and believing in his sovereignty. You hear that? And so two years later, R.C. went to be with the Lord after a long battle with lung disease. And so in the same way, whatever dark valley you're going through in life, be rest assured that Jesus, our good shepherd, is with you to protect you. And no one will snatch you out of his hand. And so we've seen so far how the good shepherds care for us in verses two to four, and how he nourishes, how he restores and and guides and protects us. And now we look at the second main truth, which is the Lord is our gracious host in verses five to six. We see David shifting his metaphor from a shepherd's care for the sheep to a gracious host who cares for his guest. But they are not unrelated metaphors because the shepherd and the host, Um, They're not unrelated, they're actually one, because in both roles, the Lord is also with you and and reassures you that you will never lack under his care. And so now what do we see the gracious host do in verse five? The Lord in verse five is the host who provides generously. We see that he provides generously. David says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows." And so what's going on here? Well, this is a snapshot of Israelite hospitality in the ancient world. It's customary that the host would offer their guests food and lodging and protection, especially those who are travelers or strangers. So remember Abraham and Sarah, when they saw the the three travelers? Um, They quickly prepared an elaborate feast for them. Or when Joseph's brothers traveled to Egypt, he also prepared a feast. And sometimes when guests enter the home, the host would anoint them with oil and give them honor. And at the same time, the cup overflowing conveys this abundance and joy provision, which is much more than the guests can ever expect. And so how much more does the Lord, our host, care for us? We who are once enemies and strangers to God are now honored guests and friends at his table. And so to eat and drink at his table is more than just his, his promise of provision, but it symbolizes this covenantal bond of loyalty and, and fellowship that can never be broken. And so we can't help but think of his care that we receive in the Lord's Supper, that when we eat and drink of his true body and blood by his spirit, we, we are reassured of salvation and, and strengthened in our souls, just being more and more united to Christ. And so, brothers and sisters, I want to ask you, do you feel weary in this pilgrim life? Be comforted to find assurance and sustainance of your souls at his table. Because as we continue to find strength in Christ, we look forward to to join him in heaven who promised a place for us at the marriage feast of the Lamb, as we see in Revelations 19.7. And so, he who provides generously is also the host who provides our safety, in verse 5, David says, he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemy. Now, this may seem like a distressing situation, because to be around enemies means your life could be in danger. Who are David's enemies here? Well, we don't know exactly, but in the chapter uh, before Psalm 23, we see in Psalm 22:6 the distress that David felt from his enemies. If you turn there, he said, all who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. And then, if you see there, down to verse 16 of the same chapter, he says, For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. This was the distress that David faced before his enemies. And his distress anticipated the distress that Jesus faced when he referred to the same psalm, Psalm 22, crying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so we see that Jesus was also mocked, surrounded, pierced in his hands and feet on the cross. In our culture, we may find it strange to face daily persecution for our faith. However, persecution shouldn't be foreign to us because Jesus tells us we all face persecution. Jesus says in John 15 20, if they persecute me, they will also persecute you. And so, according to one statistic in just the last year, there are about 245 million Christians living in places of high persecution, such as North Korea, in the Middle East, in Somalia, or in China. And so persecution remains a constant problem for the church. But not only can we be threatened by human enemies, we could also be threatened by spiritual enemies right here at home. Ephesians chapter 6:12 says, "For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places." So I can remember in some conversation with friends or families, right? In the past, when sharing the gospel, many times it ends up being the fact, Well, Daniel, you know, I'm, I'm glad that it's good news for you, and if you believe that, and that's great, thanks, but no thanks. Have you ever experienced that? Perhaps that's been your experience, or maybe your experience has, is much worse. When family and friends have disowned you because of your faith in Jesus. Now, this may, may not seem like a violent assault. But underlying that rejection is spiritual warfare against Christ. And while there's still hope, we continue to forgive our enemies, you know, and pray for those who persecute us, knowing that we too were once enemies of God. Yet despite the presence of our enemies, whether human or spiritual, we don't have to fear. It's not because our enemies could be less threatening than others, but we need to remember who is with us in the presence of our enemies. It's Jesus, isn't it? And what does Jesus do in the end um, with our enemies? He conquers them. He puts them under his feet. That's why, you, that's why you can have peace, the same way we have peace through the valley of the shadow of death. And David trusted in the Messiah King who had come to defeat all the enemies of God's people. For David says in Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. And so it's Jesus who ascended into heaven, ruling at his right hand until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy being death. And that's why you can trust our gracious host who invites us to his banquet without fear and without doubt, knowing our enemies are powerless in the presence of God, Jesus will always be our safety, our defender and protector against all our enemies. And so far we've seen how the host provides generously, how we provide safety, and now we see in verse 6 that the host pursues our good. And I can just imagine David reflecting at, it at this point and as he recounts all the blessing that God has bestowed upon him. And he says in verse six, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Mercy could also be translated loving kindness or unfailing love. And so God's attributes of goodness and love are like inseparable twins in scripture. They go together to portray God's character and God's covenant, faithfulness to his people and notice how David doesn't say surely goodness will follow me if only I do x right he doesn't say that no the idea is that surely goodness and love will follow you whether you like it or not whether you feel it or not his grace is unconditional independent of your ability or contribution but sometimes in our difficulties we feel that God doesn't care for us or that somehow he didn't get the memo, or that we didn't please God enough. Remember, God is never unaware of our situation because he is all-knowing. He knows what's best for us. And surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life, no matter what. Another way to understand follow in Hebrew is, is to pursue, in which goodness and love will pursue us. Many times in David's life, he was pursued by Saul and, Abraham, uh, no, Saul and Absalom, whose intent was, was to kill him. But while his enemies were pursuing David, someone greater than his enemies was pursuing him. And so who was pursuing David? It's none other than the Lord's goodness and mercy and love who pursues him all the days of his life. And so in the same way, Jesus pursues your good, Motivated by his love when he pursued the cross for your sins. And now that we've been reconciled to God, his goodness and love will pursue you all the days of your life. Isn't that comforting? And so now that we've seen how our gracious host pursues our good, we also see that David is promised a heavenly home. Verse 6, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. While most translations say "and I shall dwell," the Hebrew allows us to translate it "and I shall return to the house of the Lord forever." In Israel hospitality, we think of a gracious host who has developed a bond with his guest, right? In which any time you're traveling around the area, you are welcome back again and again to his home. And so David uses hospitality language to communicate a returning again and again to the Lord's house, which is the temple the dwelling place where the Lord meets and communes with his people. And so David doesn't doesn't just recognize the Lord's abundant provision as the most important blessing. David recognizes that his most important blessing is to be in the place where the Lord is present, where the Lord is always there and where he will always be with his people. And so in Psalm 26.1, David says, O Lord, I love the habitation of your house in the place where your glory dwells. And then in Psalm 27:4, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord, in, uh, in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Yet we can imagine as David looked upon the temple in his day, he anticipated a better temple, a temple not made by human hands, but a place of eternal fellowship where the Lord's goodness and steadfast love has no end of days. And so when the fullness of time had come, Jesus came not to restore an earthly temple, but he himself came to dwell among us and to secure our redemption so that by his blood we have confidence now to enter the holy places in full assurance of faith and to anticipate our heavenly home that Jesus has prepared for us. And so in conclusion, we can ask ourselves, is there anything that you lack that the Lord hasn't already provided? Right? Many of us young and old could easily recite this well-known psalm by memory. But I hope as we've meditated upon this passage, it can remind us and encourage us once again that especially as we're beginning this new year, that you are not alone. Brothers and sisters, you are not alone. And that as our catechism remind us, whatever adversity that may come our way, we can be patient and whatever, we can be patient during prosperity, right? And then uh, whatever prosperity we experience, we can be thankful because we know that in all of this, Jesus is our good shepherd and Jesus is our gracious host who will never leave us nor forsake us. So let us pray. Our merciful God, thank you for speaking to us through your word. We ask that you would grant us abundant grace by your spirit, that the promises that we've just heard would be treasured in our hearts, increase our faith, and empower us that we wouldn't be mere hearers of your word, but also to be fruit-bearing people who are zealous to bring you glory and honor to your name out of the gratitude of our hearts. And may you lead us to completely rest in Christ, our good shepherd and gracious host who has never failed us, who is faithful to your covenant people throughout all generations. All this, gracious Father, we ask in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.